This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. There's something called the gut-brain axis, which is a pathway that links your brain and your gut or your intestinal system. So one of the ways that they communicate is with a neural network. There's a whole nervous system in your gut called the enteric nervous system, and it has over 500 million neurons. And there's one big nerve connection between the gut and the brain, and that's called the vagus nerve. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn how to tune up your immunity. We'll find out the connection between anxiety and IBS. We'll discuss cooking with alternative ingredients. And lastly, we'll explore hybrid health and wellness. But first, a little bit of business. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of natural products on the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel is also a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine and this show. Welcome back, sir. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How about you? I'm doing okay. You know, it's getting, you know, days are getting shorter and it's getting a little cooler. So we're heading into those months where people sometimes pick up cold and flu, right? (laughs) But why do you suppose like immunity is, is more of a concern this fall as opposed to last fall? Well, one is the fact that people now are more attuned to their immune system with the scare of last year. Yeah. But the other big thing is last year we were all on pause, for lacking a better phrase. It was an anomaly. The world was neck deep in COVID. We were all being good boys and girls, wearing our masks all the time, staying away from gatherings. We didn't go to restaurants, and we kept our distance from others, washed our hands, and sanitized everything. This did help to flatten the COVID curve, but at the same time, what, what no one realized, well, the public for the most part didn't realize, is that it reduced the transmission of other infectious diseases, including cold and flu. And because of that, last winter was one of the lowest for rates of cold and flu out there. Yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense, right? We were all sort of sequestered and siloed and, and not doing our thing, and, and we're getting back into it. And I, I would say there's even a higher risk because I think people are fatigued you know, from doing all the protocol, right? Like they just don't want to do it anymore. And if you said to them, okay, if you don't do what you need to do, uh, you know, social distancing, masks, washing your hands, etc., you're going to get the flu. People will probably say, okay, yeah, at this point, just give me the flu. I'm not tired. I'm tired of doing everything. I don't know. Well, the problem is we as humans aren't the brightest bulb in the drawer in the fact that we tend to forget things that are really negative in our lives and move on and and, and whitewash over them, not realizing the benefit we got from being like that. Sure. I mean, there wasn't much upside in in having to wear masks and keeping away from each other 
saving except for we didn't get all those collateral diseases. Correct. So, yeah, I mean, I get it. So I guess the message is, you know, we should still be doing a lot of this stuff. I mean, we were like, yes, we've kind of defeated COVID. I don't know. I think it's like a, it's like a standing seven count. I don't think we knocked it out. I think, you know, we're, we're dealing with it better. We're better. We better understand it. So we understand what we need to do, whether we're doing it or not. I don't know. But let's talk about, let's refocus our, our energies and talk about our immune system and perhaps what we can do. Uh, regarding all these other diseases that are still floating around out there. How about that? Definitely. And, and, and the place we have to start is understand the immune system as a whole. Okay. And people have to remember that your immune system is an incredibly complex system with a ton of moving parts that all need to work together to keep you health, healthy and safety. Mm-hmm. Your system is designed to go into red alert mode when it comes in contact with anything it hasn't seen before, be it a germ, be it a virus, bacteria, that's what puts it in red alert mode. And your immune system has more than one way to to, to protect you. It includes your skin and mucus, which act as physical barriers to stop anything from getting into your body. There's over 100 trillion, and yes, I did mean trillion, not billion, bacteria in your microbiome that's in your gut and they, some of them are, are chored with producing both antimicrobial and antiviral compounds to compete with and to overcome anything that comes into you that's foreign. Mm-hmm. If by some chance a pathogenic organism gets past these defenses, they still have to deal with your white blood cells. And your white blood cells are cells that actively attack invaders. They work by literally chasing them down, latching onto them, and do one of two things. They either absorb them or completely and utterly just obliterate them. And it's all of those things working together in tandem that keep you healthy. If one isn't doing its job well, oh boy. Okay. So if that's true, if we have this built-in system... Is there anything that we can do from a lifestyle perspective that's going to help or impact that pre-existing system? Definitely. And the thing to remember is that even though everyone's immune system, even if you're healthy, is working well, your immune system, and each and every one of us has this, has a blind spot or two. There's mm-hmm. one or two little kinks in the armor that sometimes let stuff through. And that's why each year there's a certain segment of the population that seem to get a cold no matter what they do. Yep. And, and that's why. But for the most part, we can do better. And you're right. We have to start with the basics. And everyone's heard this before. Wash your hands frequently with soap and water. Clean your high-touch surfaces often. In this case, I would say also wear your mask properly whenever you're in the company of anyone other than those you live with. And obviously avoid sick or potentially sick people. Then you move on to the next set, which is eating healthy. Mm -hmm. Think of your body as a machine. If you don't give your machine good inputs, you don't get good outputs. <laughs> okay, fair um, enough. Yep. And you want to eat a diet that's rich in antioxidants, fiber, water, vitamins, minerals. By using all of those, you give your body the raw materials to allow it to make the substances that keep you healthy, the antivirals, the antibiotics, the connective tissue, and everything else that keeps out all these attackers. 
remembering that refined carbohydrates, especially sugar, processed foods and artificial ingredients all act as immune suppressors. They are on the side of the nasty stuff. They want it to win. <laughs> now, to combat that, you've got spices. Spices are on your side. Spices, they are rich in antioxidants. They're rich in antivirals and antibiotics, and they help with your circulation. As a bonus, they taste really good. <laughs> yeah. I do, and I know you do as well, Jamie, try to incorporate them into as many foods and as many drinks as I have and just make them a part of my daily life. And one thing, it's a pet peeve of mine to remind people, salt of any kind is not a spice. <laughs> That's true. Although it does make food tasty. So like I like my, I probably have way too much salt, but I have low blood pressure, so it's probably okay. But it's obviously an intake that you have to consider, right? But it doesn't necessarily impact your, your uh, immune system, but it's part of your overall health. Um, no, no, but the first time I did this conversation with someone, they said, oh, I eat lots of spices. I have salt every day. It's like, no, no, no. No, it's not a Salt does not help your immune system. No, it doesn't. But water does, though, doesn't it? Water is wonderful for immune system. It acts as a detoxifier, helping to get out your body's waste product. And when your body is fighting off anything, it creates a lot of waste. So you want to get that stuff out of there. And another way of helping to, to sort of void the toxins out of your body would be to eat fiber as well, right? Definitely. Fiber is, is wonderful in that. Both kinds, both soluble and insoluble. Okay, so next to processed foods, and I gather that's because it has such low nutritional value. Is that really what's behind? Like, it's not, it's not really adding to your health, so when you're eating it, you're not eating the good stuff and therefore taking away from your health? Is that sort of the theory? That's part of it. The other part of it is processed food tend to be very high in chemicals, okay. and the problem is if your body is fighting to figure out how to process these chemicals, it's not spending its time and its energy fighting off foreign invaders. Okay. Now, I know, I know that protein is important to, to build up you know, your strength and your muscles and, and, and body functions, but does protein uh, play a role in the immune system? Well, some proteins do. Okay. Not all proteins are immune enhancing, but there is one specific one. It's called whey protein isolate. And the reason it works so well at your immune system is, first of all, it's a complete protein source that provides all the essential amino acids that body needs to make the proteins that keep us healthy. But on top of that, multiple studies have shown that it itself, whey protein isolate that is, has many compounds that each one acts as an immune enhancer. Ah, okay. Let's take a sidebar for a second and talk about blood sugar levels. How does, yep. that, how does that interplay with, with your immunity? Well, here, here's the big thing. People who are diabetic or hypoglycemic, they, they're used to checking their blood sugar levels and making sure they're okay. The majority of the population doesn't, though, and that's a big problem because that blood sugar, for most people who aren't monitoring it goes up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down, which is fine. But if the swings get too high up or too high down, it starts to suppress your immune system. So you uh. want to make sure that you're not going too high in any direction, be it up or down. Keep, keep them within a, a smaller range and your, your immune system will be happier. 
Okay. No, uh, well, that, thank you for explaining that because I didn't appreciate it. All right, let's talk about supplements for a minute. So which ones are low-hanging fruit that we can take that will help with our immune system? First one is prebiotics and probiotics. Easiest way to say it is 80% of your immunity comes from your gut, and you have to take care of your gut. Otherwise, you're basically letting 80% of your immunity go by the wayside. Probiotics, many of your listeners have heard about. They're great. They're the healthy bacteria that keep you healthy. Prebiotics are lesser known. They're the food for probiotics. And what you do is you take prebiotics and probiotics at the same time, and the prebiotics amplify the effect of the probiotics. So it's like taking significantly more without actually taking more, Hmm. which is easier on the wallet. Yep. The other really nice thing about it is you can now get certified organic ones. So get the two together in a certified organic form. I choose capsules. They're great, easy, and clean. Okay. I didn't know that probiotics could be non-organic, but you learn something new every day. <laughs> oh, they can. <laughs> what else would you recommend? There's a ton of herbs that have uh, a long history and significant clinical research behind them for immune support. The ones I go to are elderberry and chaga mushroom. Again, I do those in certified organic capsules because they're clean and I want to avoid any issues there. On top of that are the two, well actually one vitamin and one mineral that are the heroes, that's vitamin C and zinc. Mm -hmm. Those two, the clinical doses are 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C and 10 milligrams of zinc, specifically. You don't want to go insanely high or insanely low with them. It, it won't do you good in either direction, so stick to those numbers daily. Okay. Then, then you move on to my, my favorite boys, vitamin D and vitamin K2. Mm-hmm. Together, and please remember, take them together. They support immune system health. They support your emotional health, and as an additional bonus, they work together to help bone and heart health. And the reason I say the two together is vitamin D is amazing, but vitamin D does not do its job completely unless it's with vitamin K2. Okay, good advice. What are your thoughts on exercise and how it it plays into the immunity? Its effect cannot be overstated. It can't be. Exercise allows your immune cells and your immune system to perform effectively. It increases your blood flow, reduces stress and inflammation, and it can strengthen your antibodies, which are one of the defenses against infection. It helps flush up bacteria from your lungs and your airways. (laughs) We all want that. That's a good thing. And that reduces your likelihood of infection. But here's the big thing to remember with exercise, as always. If you currently exercise, just up it a little bit to start. Just go a little bit more. Mm -hmm. If you don't exercise, don't go crazy. Start out slow and work your way up. And if there's any question at all about your comfort level or any concerns, please talk to your doctor first because too little exercise doesn't help you, but going overboard also doesn't help. Right. And going zero to 60, your body isn't ready for it. And if you injure yourself, well, then you can't exercise and you lose all those benefits. And, and Agreed. so as hard as I exercise and I'm, you know, it's pretty vigorous for me, I often have to sort of dial it back just to make sure that I'm not going to injure myself because I'd go crazy if I, if I wasn't able to exercise every week. I, it, oh, yeah. And, and your body will tell you. Yeah. For most people, your body lets you know it has an incredible mechanism, and it's called pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
The dull ache of your muscle pain is not what we're talking about. It's the sharp pains you have to avoid. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. You know it, and you hope not to know it again. (laughs) Yeah. We have time for one last quick topic, and that is detoxes. Give us your number one thought on that. Number one thought, definitely go... I drink a ton of water every day. I add liquid chlorophyll to it. And the reason is I just want to make sure that any toxins that are in me that my body wants to get out can get out and then it can get on with the process of keeping me healthy. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You'll come back again next month. Oh, heck yeah. This is my most fun. Well, it's my most fun too. That was Joel Thuna. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. You're a genuine health enthusiast listening to this show today. And Activation Products is your dream come true when it comes to living in a perfectly healthy body. Reclaim your health, cleanse your body, and extend your life. Activation makes all this possible by providing you with the best products for your best health. Activation products can elevate your whole body's health in ways you had no idea were possible. No matter how old or how young you are, it's their mission to deliver to you the most efficacious health products available in the world today. Treat yourself now and find out what it's like to live in a perfectly healthy body, making every day a joy to be alive. Go to activationproducts.com and start your journey on reclaiming your health. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Heather Lillico is a registered holistic nutritionist and yoga and meditation instructor. She helps overachieving people-pleasing perfectionists find balance in their life. Heather knows it's possible to break through anxiety and self-doubt and step into a life filled with confidence by incorporating nutrients to nourish your mind and mindfulness techniques to slow you down. For more information, you can always visit heatherlilico.com or follow her on Instagram at heather underscore L-I-L. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. Thanks for having me back. How are you? Good. We're going to use letters, acronyms instead of full words today, right? We're, we're talking about IBS. Yes. Yes, we are talking about irritable bowel syndrome or See? IBS. Yeah, you gave it away, right? I thought... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we're not just talking about that. We're, we're going to talk about the connection between IBS and anxiety because you think there is one, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I can share a little bit about this connection between anxiety and IBS and how I sort of discovered it. Yeah. Please so do. there's a few layers here, a few pieces of the puzzle that uh, that kind of came together for me to see the link. So first, it was through my personal experience. When I was in university, I developed anxiety and panic attacks. I've shared that a lot on the show. But I've also had IBS during that time as well. So I was bloated every day. Like some days I looked pregnant. And I had a lot of heartburn. I was popping Tums all the time to help. And I was running to the bathroom frequently. And it was stressful. Like I never wanted to be anywhere without access to a bathroom. And I noticed that when my anxiety got bad, 
my IBS also flared up. And so I thought, you know, maybe there's a connection here. And then when I started working as a nutritionist in the area of anxiety, I noticed a big connection in my clients too. So they were reporting symptoms like bloating, heartburn, constipation, diarrhea, sometimes sort of alternating between constipation and and diarrhea. So I started to do some research and I saw that studies that have examined this found that about 30 to 40% of people with IBS also have anxiety. So Hmm. I thought, okay, there's something here. And then most recently, I posted a video on Instagram about anxiety and IBS and it went viral with over a million views. And so many people were commenting on it being like, whoa, me too. Like, this is a thing. So I thought, okay, this is an issue for a lot of people. So thank you for having me on today so that we can talk about this and I can share some insights with you. So how are the two linked? Now that you've established they are, like, how does that manifest? Yeah, there's a connection in in a couple different ways. So there's something called the gut-brain axis, which is a pathway that links your brain and your gut or your intestinal system. So one of the ways that they communicate is with a neural network. There's a whole nervous system in your gut called the enteric nervous system, and it has over 500 million neurons. And there's one big nerve connection between the gut and the brain, and that's called the vagus nerve. We sometimes call it the wandering nerve because it has so many connections through different areas of the body. Now, the vagus nerve has a big role in helping you feel relaxed. So if you're stressed, digestion shuts down. The vagus nerve basically says, oh no, we might be in danger. There's something going on. Don't digest food right now. It's not a priority. Now, when this happens enough, digestion is impacted and it can lead to inflammation. It can lead to an imbalance of bacteria, food sensitivities, and an IBS. And this sort of super highway of information goes the other way too. So signals from your gut can head up to your brain and tell it what's going on down there. Mm-hmm. So it can communicate through these neural connections. It can also communicate through microbes in the gut. So the bacteria that you have in your gut produce a lot of your mood-boosting neurotransmitters. So for example, about 90% of your serotonin is produced in your gut. This affects gut motility, so how fast things move. And people with IBS are found to have lower uh, serotonin levels. So it can communicate through some of those neurotransmitters. The microbes in your gut also affect hormone levels, so that can communicate with the body. They affect your uh, immunity, too. And the bacteria in your gut also produce things called short-chain fatty acids. So one of them is called butyrate, and butyrate helps maintain a strong blood-brain barrier. So we want our brain to be separate from the rest of our blood so that toxins and things can't get in there and cause damage. So if the gut's not producing this short-chain fatty acid, butyrate, maybe because of IBS, then the mind is going to be impacted. You're not going to have this strong blood-brain barrier. So there's a lot of connections happening here in the body between the gut and the brain. Really, like nothing happens in isolation in the body. Hmm. Okay. So this might be a difficult question, but it's like a chicken and the egg type question. Like what comes first, (laughs) the IBS or the anxiety? It's a good question. And I don't think we fully know which one comes first, but what we do know is they aggravate each other, that it's, it's a cycle. So if you're anxious, digestion shuts down. Over time, this leads to inflammation and IBS. If you have IBS, the balance of bacteria in your gut is off, which communicates with the brain to make you feel anxious. So it's, it's this sort of cycle, but what is cool about them being so intertwined is that you can treat one and it will help the other. So there's some interesting animal studies where they take mice who are prone to anxiety and they give them certain strains of bacteria. So they're altering their gut microbiome. 
And what they find is that their behavior starts to change. So the only treatment is really just giving them different types of bacteria. And when they do this, they become calmer. They become more willing to explore in mazes instead of cowering in the corner. Hmm. So this means that, you know, while we might not fully know which one comes first or what causes what, we can address one area but help both, which is pretty cool. So what are the sorts of things that, that would increase your likelihood of developing IBS? There's a couple of different risk factors. So females are more likely to develop IBS, but two in three people with IBS are women. Hmm. It usually affects people who are younger, so under uh, the age of 50. And then another risk factor is having heavy antibiotic use, and especially as a kid, because this is when a lot of your microflora in your gut is forming. Those are a couple of risk factors. Okay. And where does somebody start if they want to address IBS and anxiety? So if you've convinced them they have to deal with it, what should they do first? The first step that I normally do with clients is to identify any food triggers for IBS. So this could look like keeping a diary to figure out how you're feeling after a meal. So does your bloating build throughout the day or do you wake up with it? Are there certain meals it's worse after What's the environment of those meals? You know, are you stressed while eating? Are you working while eating or watching TV? This impacts your ability to digest your food. And while I say, you know, identify the food triggers, I want to emphasize that it's not the food's fault. It's not that, you know, let's say beans are causing you bloating. It's not that beans are bad. It's that the balance of bacteria in your gut is off. That's the true underlying issue. The balance of bacteria is off. And so some sort of inflammatory reaction is happening, and then the beans or whatever the food is ends up causing bloating. So it's really not the food's fault, but we want to start to identify, you know, perhaps are there, are there a couple of foods right off the bat that are just causing an issue in the system, and we might want to remove those maybe temporarily while we work on the bigger issue of healing the gut. Okay, so is there anything that we can do, anything we can eat or changes to our diet that would help us, I guess, develop the good bacteria? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot we can do uh, from the diet side of things. So focusing on real whole foods Mm -hmm. is a great step. And so typically I'll have clients add in different prebiotic foods, so gentle fibers coming from fruits, veggies, and whole grains. And some foods that I find that don't cause issues in a lot of people are foods like kiwis, raspberries, oats, brown rice, flax seeds, walnuts, potatoes. Those are all really good gut-supporting ones that for most people don't cause bloating. So that's sort of one level is we want to have these prebiotic foods. We also want to have probiotic foods. So things like kefir, yogurt, if somebody has an issue with dairy, lots of non-dairy options available, sauerkraut, kimchi, these fermented foods provide bacteria that will support the gut. So we can have the the food uh, supporting the gut and then also usually a few key supplements. So since we want to address the balance of bacteria using something like a probiotic and then supplement that'll help the cells of the small intestine. So looking for ingredients like aloe, marshmallow root, slippery elm, those are all great things to look for in a supplement to help the gut. Okay. Are there any other treatment options that you would recommend? Yes, definitely. So in my practice, I don't just focus on food. I focus on a combo of diet and mindfulness because remember, there's a relationship, right, between the gut and the brain. If you only focus on the gut and you only focus on the food, but you have massive amounts of stress in your life, it's not going to override all that anxiety. So this is why we need more lifestyle tools to help us cope with stress and anxiety. 
Uh, and this is why I use mindfulness or meditation with my clients because it really fits the bill for that. We're training the brain to be more present in what we're doing. And since anxiety is very future focused, it's helpful to come into the present moment. And the research supports mindfulness as a treatment for anxiety. In one study, 70% of people who underwent a mindfulness intervention saw a reduction in their IBS-related symptoms. They also had a reduction in anxiety. So it's this sort of holistic approach with diet and mindfulness that I've found to be the most effective combination. Okay. And we have time for one last question, and that is maybe you could explain some mindfulness techniques that you know people could start with. Oh, yeah. All right. So I like to start simple with people, and we can kind of tie mindfulness to eating. So before a meal, taking some deep belly breaths, really simple technique that will help activate and, and turn on that vagus nerve. So calms the nervous system, which is helpful to prep your body to digest, and it's also helpful for anxiety. And then removing distractions during a meal, so you really focus on what you're eating. This is an act of mindfulness, and it's going to be beneficial for digestion. Somebody could also explore an app like you know, Insight Timer, Headspace, Calm, any of those I find are a helpful way to build up the practice as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for having me back. That was Heather Lillico. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss cooking with alternative ingredients on The Tonic. Is joint pain keeping you from enjoying your favorite activities? New Roots Herbal can help. Whether it's reducing acute pain and chronic inflammation or rebuilding worn down cartilage, discover joint pain relief. Inflaheal Plus and Chondroitin Glucosamine from New Roots Herbal. Only the highest quality natural ingredients tested for purity and potency in an ISO accredited lab. Available exclusively at your local health food store. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. (sighs) Does the fear of losing control keep you awake at night? Enjoy better sleep on something you can control. The Supreme Adjustable Bed by Ultramatic. Customize your back, leg, neck, and lumbar positions with push-button control for relief of back pain, arthritis, and sleep apnea. The Supreme. Take back control of your life. Try Ultramatic's Supreme Adjustable Bed for 100 nights, risk-free. Learn more at ultramatic.ca. Elevate your sleep. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. In addition to being a lawyer, my next guest has been writing for Tonic Magazine for over five years. And since 2015, she's written the very popular cookbook review column, My Wife, Naomi. Hi, sweetheart. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. (laughs) Always a pleasure to have you on the show, my dear. So we're going to talk about alternative ingredients today. And I guess the question is, why are we talking about alternative ingredients for cooking? Well, I think there's just a huge increase in awareness and interest in these ingredients. Like five years ago, I think it was a lot different. But I see in you know blogs that I follow and cookbooks that I look at, there's just so many more that have these you know additional flours, additional liquids, vegetarian, and you know the more people are aware, then the more they want to try these things. And if you haven't tried it, but you're a little hesitant or you don't even know what exactly it is or how to do it, like that's the purpose of today's show is that's just, it's not as, it's not as difficult as you might think. And it adds a bit of flavor, a bit of nutrition, you know, something different. So why not? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it, a lot of the decision to go with an alternative flour or an alternative quote unquote milk is usually diet driven. Like maybe you're vegan or maybe you're trying to get rid of gluten or whatever it is that's driving it. I think that sort of started it and then others picked up on it. But I agree with you. I think there's a hesitancy. So let's see if we can bridge that gap. Okay. So let's start with the milks that I just referred to. So what are we talking about when we're talking about like milks? So when I think of milk, I think of milk like M-Y-L-K, like not real milk or like cheese, C-H-E-E-Z. It's a a fake food. Yeah. (laughs) But it's a real healthy food. It's just, you know, perhaps it's not milk, but we're going to call it that for an, because that's what people call it. So it's a liquid made by soaking an ingredient like a nut or a grain, blending it with water and then straining out the solids. And so what's left is what's called the rice milk, oat milk, nut milk. And that can be added instead of water to baking, cooking, you know, soups, especially if you don't eat dairy. But even if you do, it, it, you know, it will give you a different flavor, a different texture. And, you know, it's worth a try. You just said that you can buy the milk, but could you also make the milk? Yes. And the one thing is, is that it really works best if you have a powerful blender like a Vitamix, but you can do it with any kind of blender because obviously you're trying to grind the solid as, as fine as possible, but you strain it anyway, so it works. So you usually, let's say you soak the nuts overnight and then blend it up. When we make almond milk, you know, sometimes I'll add dates, vanilla, salt, just to add a little bit of flavor. And if I'm blending it, then whatever the other ingredients I'm adding, they get blended well too. So very easy. It requires slight preparation and that you have to soak the nuts or the grains, but it's really not a big deal. And also you can buy this stuff everywhere. They sell oat milk at Costco, you know, in large volumes. They sell it at Starbucks. So it's it's available to buy if you don't want to make it, but it's easy to make. It's easy, but it's, you know, like taking nuts and soaking them. Nuts are expensive because they're a protein and they just are as a product. So it's not a value play. But of course, if you're making it yourself, there's no stabilizers or preservatives in there. And you know exactly what's going in it, I suppose. Right. Exactly. I do buy it sometimes if I need it for, you know, for cooking. But I do like making it myself. You know, we buy a big bag of nuts, keep them in the freezer. And then we just I take out a cup of nuts you know, soak them and make the almond milk or whatever it is. Either way is fine. It's fine just to be quite useful for, say, smoothies. Mm-hmm. You know, you can always add, of course, regular milk or yogurt or juice, but it's very good to make smoothies and it does add a little extra nutrition, especially if you keep, you don't strain out the actual nut, what they call meat, and keep it in the smoothie because then you're adding extra bulk. You don't need to add almond butter to your smoothie because you already have the almonds from the almond milk. Okay. Is there a cookbook that you reference when you're making the smoothies? Yes, we have the Greenhouse Cookbook uh, from the Greenhouse Juice Company, and uh, I really like their smoothies. But if you want to make them at home, they've got really good recipes that I might not put together myself. So one that we make where you soak oats, and you only soak them for an hour, or if you can't soak them, you can't soak them. But you can add nut milk, nut butter, greens, like spinach, dates, banana, and then I add ginger and turmeric, and that's a really good one. Uh, I also add a little sweetener too. Or their uh, cocoa, dates, and spinach. You know, the thing with smoothies is if you add spinach, it's hidden. 
it may make it look green, but it'll be sweet from the dates. And those kind of smoothies are healthy and uh, and delicious if you, if you like smoothies. So that's my favorite cookbook to make smoothies for sure. Okay. Let's move on to alternative flowers. So what are we talking about there? So you've got your basic all-purpose flour, and there's nothing wrong with all-purpose flour. It's actually hard to bake without it. So if you're not gluten-free or celiac, I would say, you know, keep some if you like to bake. But what you can do is substitute part of, you know, a recipe's you know, it calls for two cups of all-purpose flour, you can substitute a half a cup of a different kind of flour pretty much without, you know, negatively impacting the recipe. And then, of course, there are a lot of recipes or cookbooks that focus on these alternative flours. It's the reason that you might want to do that is, you're again, you're adding some nutritional value, some a different flavor, different texture to your baked goods. And, you know, that's a good thing. It's always good to try something new. Sure. I mean, you know, I don't really believe that. I think, you know, doing the same thing over and over again is amazing. But but I know you like new things. So sure, for the purpose of this conversation, it is good to do new things. No, it is, of course. I'm joking. Yeah, and you can't just, you know, you can't just do, you can't just substitute. If you use, let's say, buckwheat flour in your angel food cake, it's not really going to work exactly well. Like you, if something has to be light and fluffy, you might want to stick with your all-purpose flour or at least find a recipe uh, that's suited to that. But, you know, as long as you... As, as long as you put your mind to what you're doing, it's worth trying. I like cooking with these flowers. No, I know you do. I, but, you know, you have a certain skill level, right? Like, you know what you can switch in and, and swap out, right? So I don't know if it's I, trial and error or, or whether you're, you're using references. I, I don't know. I mean, it's both. As a Mother's Day present, I received a copy of a book called Mother Grains by Roxana Julepat because my kids know that I like this. And I love this book. It's a great book. She's a pastry chef from L.A. And this book focuses on eight ancient grains of barley, buckwheat, corn, oats, rice, rye, sorghum, and wheat. Mm -hmm. And by wheat, you know, that could be whole wheat or um, a spelt. Like, those are all varieties of wheat. So, you know, it's not... It's not out there. Most of the recipes do call for some you know, all-purpose flour, but other flours as well. And I found it really interesting. We made a number of things and really liked it. So it, so you don't have to take a flyer. If you use a recipe or cookbook that's geared towards these uh, other flours, then you know it'll work out. So what are some of the recipes from that book that you would recommend? Well, we made a ricotta cornmeal pound cake, which was just was plain but it was so good you know that had regular flour and cornmeal and it was just like a a beautiful you know heavy but pound cakes are supposed to be a little bit heavy but moist pound cake that we served with some whipped cream and berries delicious Mm -hmm. we made a baked buckwheat pancake with berry compote and this was individual pancakes that you bake in the oven and i wasn't quite sure she said one was for one person it was they were massive and i don't know if it was the buckwheat flour but it was cool it was it was fluffy wasn't dense at all it was just very filling that was a fun recipe to try we have been making the overnight oats her recipe calls for oat milk but we've used both oat milk and homemade almond milk and it really it's the best recipe for overnight oats that i've tried easy and you know the she gives you one portion and then we just double it or triple it as you need to but that was a good one and then i also made the chocolate chip cookies 
using spelt flour. So she gives you alternatives. If you want to add rye flour or spelt flour or oat flour, you know, here's, here's how you do it. Uh, so lots of options in the book. She also has savory recipes too. It's not just sweet. Yeah. So like everybody who listens to the show knows I'm a bit of an oatmeal maven. And I have my own process, and I'm, I'm not a fan of the overnight oats, or historically I have not been. But I do have to say that I now start swapping out my traditional oatmeal with those overnight oats because they really are terrific. And that's about as high praise as you can get from me. <laughs> I know, I know. And now you're asking for the overnight oats, and I'm, and I'm thinking, can I just have toast? <laughs> no, no, you can't. <laughs> It's good. It's fun to try new things. And as you say, like we've made overnight oats before, but I'd never made my own milk to put in it. And it is very filling. That's for sure. Good, though. We have time for one last little bit of advice. So not milks, not flours. What other kind of substitutions can people think about? Well, one common thing is if you don't want to use butter, you can almost always use oil because oil, especially in cakes, uh, is actually better. I mean, butter has delicious flavor, but oil will make your your cakes tender. I mean, if you're making cookies or something that requires a solid fat, then you might need to substitute the vegan Earth's Best or, you know, shortening even. I also will use strong coffee or espresso as a substitute for milk, particularly in chocolate. And I wouldn't put coffee in a vanilla cake because it would change the color. But I often have to make things dairy-free and I'll just use strong coffee and coffee and chocolate are beautiful pairing. So those are some things that I frequently use, other substitutes. And the ratios are the same? So same amount, same amount? Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're very welcome. That was Naomi Bussin. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss hybrid health and wellness on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dr. Stacey Irvine is the co-founder of Totem Life Science. The philosophy and identity of Totem have been greatly influenced by Stacey's love of athletics and her passionate belief that everyone will benefit from a healthy, active lifestyle in their own unique way. Through her work as a chiropractor and strength and conditioning specialist, Dr. Irvine's clientele ranges from beginners just starting out on an exercise program to elite and professional athletes looking for advanced rehabilitation and a training program strategy. 
She is a frequent guest on this show as well. Welcome back, Dr. Irvine. How are you? I'm great. And how fun to be here in person on this beautiful day. Exactly. Exactly. Things are getting back to normal, kind of, not really. We're doing that little dance where some things are back to normal and some things aren't. And we've called it hybrid, right? Hybrid, yes. I'll take whatever level of normal I can possibly find. So what does hybrid look like to you? What does that mean to you? So hybrid is a bit of a conversation that we're having as we, like you said, move back to normal. What does work look like? Are we in some days? Are we in all days? You know, and we're kind of saying that people are going to probably work from home some days and then they're going to work in the office some days. And so we've termed that hybrid. What we need to think about is all the other areas of our life. How does hybrid help us? Right. You know, I feel like I lost so many efficiencies with this pandemic. Of course. You know, everything took longer. Going to the grocery store took longer. And prior to that, I had a pretty good system. I had a good system with my workout and my work and how I got everywhere. And basically it all exploded, you know, as we got locked down and it was terrible. So now I think we want to really think about how can we make our new ideas and our new, you know, virtual world, how do we make that work for us so that we can get back to being a little bit more efficient again? Okay. So let's keep it in your wheelhouse and stuff that you would know about, you know, as as a health practitioner. So there are times when maybe it's okay to not see your health practitioner and do things virtually. And then there's other times when you need in person. So how does that work from your perspective? It is a really interesting thing. And I believe that, you know, in the early days of this, we all struggled with it because we kind of only had one choice. And so we scrambled and we realized as a health practitioner, okay, this works perfectly. This part doesn't work quite so well. I'll give you an example. If I've seen a patient before many times and, you know, I'm very familiar with them and I, I know what their lifestyle is like, And they want to call me and say, you know what, I was doing this exercise and it kind of bothered me a little bit. Can you just watch me do my rehab exercise and give me some updates on, you know, what am I doing wrong? How am I doing this? That is perfect for virtual. There is no reason you need to come in for that. But there's some other situations. I work pretty closely with some GPs. And the one thing they lamented is that when someone calls you and says, you know, I'm feeling dizzy. Right. Don't even bother booking the virtual appointment. Dizzy is one that you have to come in. There's a lot of things that have to be checked over. They need to see you in person. However, filling a prescription, you know, that you've had kind of for years and you just needed the usual, like, take my blood pressure, those types of things absolutely do it virtual. It's going to save you a bunch of time. You're going to get to do it on your day that maybe you're working from home. You don't have to go sit in the waiting room. And it's great for the healthcare provider as well, because they don't have that volume of people coming through. So there are so many efficiencies that we can get from this. We just need to understand which ones work the best for us. Okay. So you do a lot of rehab work, sports injuries and such. Is it really workable with a hybrid system? Like how's that working for you? It really is. It's because a lot of our prescription for the rehab is exercise. So the exercises work beautifully over a virtual appointment and that's fantastic. Now, if you're in an acute situation, you're just coming off the field, you think you might have a fracture, that does not work in a virtual situation. I need to see you in person. I need to see how much swelling there is. I need to see how you're able to weight bear. It's very hard for me to do that virtually. And I 
generally don't like to see people that are brand new virtually. So it works great if you've already been in person and I have an idea of what we're working with. But if you're a new patient to rehab, I would suggest that you go in person first. And then, you know, you can do your follow-ups work beautifully in a virtual situation. Okay. So you and I, I think, have discussed this several times, both on the air and, and personally. We both exercise quite a bit. And that's changed too, right? The way that we get our fitness is completely different. And I may or may not have, don't get mad at me, you know, purchased <laughs> a cycle that begins with P I and, and we're, you know, yeah. as part of our, our gym at home. So what do, yes. you, what do you think about things? I completely agree with what you're saying. And I love that you adapted, right? we had to. Adapting means that you're going to survive and then you're going to thrive. So the people that were like, no, I'm never doing this. I'm I'm only going to wait till my gym opens. You're not adapting. Nope. We have to adapt. And virtual is a beautiful way to adapt in this environment because we all know the benefits of being with other people to exercise, having an instructor with you, getting pushed a little bit more, having someone check your form. These things are crucial and you cannot do it by yourself in your basement. No. So accept that reality. But at the same time, I think we're ready to go back a little bit. We're maybe ready to meet with a trainer, say one day a week, and then you're going to get homework and you're going to do some of that at home. I love how many virtual options there are. There are fantastic classes. There are things that are really motivating. So the only downside is, you know, it's more screen time and we're getting tired of it, but I'm all for it. And I think a hybrid with fitness is fantastic. It's never going anywhere. Keep your equipment at home. Keep your space at home because that is going to be super helpful for you. Yeah. You know, there are pros and cons, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Like you really, you have to be really diligent about your form, but I think if the fact that you can't get to the gym is preventing you from doing something, yes. then you really have just created an excuse. Where there's a will, there's a way. Like if exercise is important to you and it really should be, should be. then you got to figure out a way to do it. At yes. Bottom line. yes. And I think there's situations too, like, you know, we're in beautiful weather right now, but like, yeah. let's think about, we've just had a massive snowstorm. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to just kind of hunker down, say, I'll work from home today. I'm not going to deal with the traffic and I'm going to do my workout at home. Another situation that I really really hope never happens is people going in with a bit of a head cold or something like that. And we used to see that at the gym all the time, you know, like, oh, I've been sick at home for days, but I just decided, you know, I'll take my Sudafed daytime and get in here. And you're thinking, no, we don't want you in here. So I really hope that those days people stay home, do their workouts at home, you know, just avoid kind of spreading germs to the rest of the world. Okay. So there are the super motivated who manage to keep their fitness level up. And then there are those who I think I just mentioned who are using the fact that we can't get to the gym as an excuse not to do as much. Do you think that like going forward, this is going to impact our health sort of as a nation? Without question. Weight gain is, you know, across the board. The COVID-15, The right? COVID-15, yeah. And, you know, it's it's kind of a little bit of a tagline and we kind of joke about it. But however, yeah. it is a real problem. We're going to see negative health impacts from it. We're also seeing negative mental health impacts. So the motivation can be because you're at home, but it can also be 
because there are really detrimental mental health effects. And sadly, I'm seeing it in a lot of our young patients and I'm seeing them wanting to quit their sports and things like that. So it's going to take a big effort. Everyone in this profession has to work together to say, you know what, come on, like, what can you do? There's things out there to do, but you've got to get moving one step at a time. It's so, so important for the health of our nation. I think a lot of people sort of gave themselves a little mental break, like, this is so difficult. I'm going to slack off a bit. And everybody was okay with that, right? Everybody's saying, yeah, you know what? You were working out five days a week. Maybe it's okay to scale it back because COVID, right? Like we all need a break. But then you got to kind of got to figure, okay, now that we're coming out of COVID, do you still get the same break? Are the same excuses still in place? And I don't believe they are, but I'm a hard ass. <laughs> I think another problem is is sort of the isolation, right? It is a real problem. And, and that's why I'm saying that virtual is not great for everything. And when you talk about healthcare, you sometimes need that reassurance of connecting with someone. And that's really important. And the same goes for fitness. A big part of what we enjoy about fitness, about what we enjoy about, you know, our men's rec hockey league at night is those connections with those people. And that is so crucial to our mental well-being. And I really hope that through all this, we've realized that that's important and we got to work for it. It takes a little bit of an effort. Even just connecting with your friends takes a little bit of an effort, but it's so important that we really need to continue on it. Yeah, I, I'm not a man of the people. I think everybody knows that. But, but there, <laughs> there were a group of people that Naomi and I would work out regularly. Like, you know, you have your classes yes. and you see the same people. Yes. And, you know, they don't necessarily, you know, maybe they're not the same demographic. Maybe they're a little older, a little younger, not as in shape, better shape. But there's that little community that gets built and it's not necessarily driven by the instructors, but it's people who are committing to their health and wellness just by going out there and doing that and not having those people, actually it does impact your ability to do it yourself. It does. The, the encouragement you get through example, through camaraderie, I think is actually really, really important. Yeah, and being accountable. Even having some of those people say, see you next week right. or see you next class, and you're going to be like, yeah, yeah, I'll see you next class. We'll talk about this. That inspires you a little bit to get to that next class. And sometimes that's all we need is just a little bit more push. And that's what we've been missing 100% during all this challenging time. And I'm a competitive guy. You know, if I see some guy who I think is not <laughs> as strong as me, you know, doing that kettlebell and I'm thinking, oh, I could do that. Right. But if you're doing it alone in your basement, there's nobody yeah. to compete with. But maybe that's just a personal issue for me. I, you no, know. we are all like that. That's a human instinct. It is a thing that we like to do. We compare ourselves and then we want to push ourselves a little bit. And that's what is wonderful about it. And that's why it works. Yeah, well, so I, I guess our both our wishes is that, like, on some level, we get back to that, right? The ability to go back and do what we were doing before. A hundred percent. I can't wait. It's so important. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure. That was Dr. Stacy Irvine. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Joel Thuna, Heather Lillico, Naomi Busson, and Dr. Stacy Irvine. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The September-October issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you are interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. 
Next week on the show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.